0: You know like every comedian like stands for something of like I don't care about being edgy or telling the truth I just want more people to get into mathematics and anything that comes from mathematics that's all I really care about that's okay. all I if I leave only one influence on this world it's to maybe push more people towards that because I think it's just great that's why your name is how cheesy math. do I sound you can't math- say Matthew without math true numbers can't be skewed uh, you, there's no emotion in numbers and that's what makes them pure Yeah. All right.
1: Happy Mother's Day, everybody, and welcome to Hot Breath. It is I, Joel Byers, and it is you, all my hot brethren and sisterin. I must, of course, open up with two brand new five-star iTunes reviews. Thank you so much for keeping that support going. The first one we have here is from B Salmon 83 saying amazing podcast. So many great insights into climbing the ladder in the comedy world. Hearing others experiences and the bomb. So I can read as a human being. Let's try that again. Hearing others experience parentheses and times they bombed. Make me calm down about my future in comedy. Joel's interview style where the guest actually gets to talk is unfortunately rare today don't pass this one up if you are a comic thank you b sal man 83 amazing podcast you say well i say amazing review and our second one comes from reno the if you're listening you know who you are i don't that that name does not compute uh but the title is dude good stuff with five stars and saying a must listen get on that well thank you uh, who whatever your name is you know who you are thank you for your support and listening and thank you to all the others out there supporting and listening you can always head over to itunes and let me know how you feel about the podcast. You can also go to my brand new website, O Snap. It's official. Ladies and gentlemen, joelbyerscomedy.com. You could also type in joelbyers.com. Either way, it's taking you to the brand new website of Joel Byers. On there, you can, of course, find a link to the podcast. There's an embedded player there. So instead of. Going to you know our Stitcher page or Audio Boom page, you can go right to JoelByersComedy.com and listen to the new one. There's also a schedule on there. There's also a link to my comedy class I teach at Highwire Comedy Company. They teach a lot of sketch and improv and also stand-up. You can go on there and check us out. I know the past two classes have sold out. So if whether you're a comic looking to build a brand new five minutes or just you know a comedy fan looking to get behind the scenes of the comedy world and the actual mechanics of joke writing, definitely go over to JoelByersComedy.com, follow the link, and sign up today. We uh, have a couple more weeks till the next class, so go ahead and reserve your spot while there's still a discounted rate. And, of course, the website also has a calendar on there where you can keep up with me with all the shows I do, like the one at Java Monkey in Decatur every Wednesday at 830 been hosting that show called Funny Monkey for almost 5 years now. It's Decatur's longest-running comedy show. So come on out this Wednesday and find out why. That's enough about I. You've come here to also hear one of my guests. And this guy is somebody I've been wanting to get for a little while now. I'm glad I was able to catch him while he's in town. You know, he Grew up in Atlanta, but now lives in LA, so it was good to catch him while he's here in Atlanta. And of course, I'm talking about none other than Matthew Broussard. Matthew Broussard chronicles his meteoric progression from winning Houston's Funniest Comedian to filming Comedy Central's House Party, filming two shows on MTV2, and now a Comedy Central half hour special. All within five years. Yeah. He's done all that in a five-year career. So uh, in my six-year career, I have hosted a comedy show and now a podcast. So I definitely wanted to find out just how he did this. So you definitely want to listen to this. It's very insightful. You know, Matt grew up as a very intelligent kid and he would just be creating his own puns and even making his own toys, which is a a funny insight we learned in this interview. Matt also discusses how being an applied math major at a very prestigious university actually gives him a competitive advantage in calculating his moves through a deviating comedy network. Ooh, I hope I use deviating right. But anyway, the time has now come to inhale a hyperbolic hot breath with Matthew Brassard.
0: You want to sit here? And we can try these chairs. and we can try Oh, yeah, this yeah. Good old body. Oh, body this is language.
1: good, yeah. No, let's do that.
0: And anything I can help you with. Nah, we're, we're here, man. Okay. We are
1: rocking and rolling. Let me just but, like, like, give you that one.
0: It's funny how, as a comedian, it's like posting sincere, heartfelt stuff is the... It's so... I'm not even going to say forbidden. You just... Even in your own heart, you just feel wrong <laughs> posting like cheesy shit. But Then when people take you seriously, like that guy. Yeah, one person, that, another person commented, he goes, this took me a second. I thought you would be the last person who would post something motivationally, motivational and cheesy.
1: Oh.
0: And I said, thank you. Thank, <laughs> that's a high compliment. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because it's just, I don't want to be thought of as every, when I like have something big to announce like we could talk about all this in the podcast.
1: No, you're good. Please keep going.
0: Is go it ahead. on? Yeah, go ahead. Oh. Have we started? Is this oh, I hate it at the beginning yeah. of, when you listen to the beginning of podcasts. i like, Have we started? Oh yeah, we. Sta-. It always <laughs> takes me out of the podcast. I want him to. I want to, like. I don't even want to know when it started. Uh, wait, what were we saying? The <laughs> something about motivational cheesy stuff. Yeah,
1: uh, comedians, you posting stuff
0: that's motivational. Yeah, I, I really try not to. I really try not. Also, there's a couple things that are just forbade for for comedians. It's like, and it's okay when when you see your like non-comedian friends do like that's okay of like my girlfriend's the greatest kind of thing Uh or like uh, uh, it's been a lot of hard work and it's really paid off these last few months something like that. You're like, yeah, go. When you see a comedian do it, you're like, no, (laughs) you're cheating to get likes. You're only allowed to be facetious or or you know what i mean or or, or biting or, be or ironic yeah it can't just be
1: sincere yeah, yeah yeah it's
0: it's i don't know why it's like it's almost taxing that we can't ever really well that's not true we can't ever on social media do that with my best friends you know we'll always celebrate any any time one of us gets something big we'll always right. be like you worked hard for this congratulations i'm proud of you you're such a good friend blah 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 but if you're on social media, though, on social media and on stage, you can't do that on stage. You can't be like, guys, I just, I mean, you know what I mean. You can't be like, my girlfriend's really hot, and like, you yeah. know, there's so many things you it's can't. It's got to be, be a misdirection there. Yeah, exactly. Oh, she burned me. Ah. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Or my girlfriend's who out of my league Where then you're turning it on yourself It can't be truly heartfelt and sentimental Unless you're black Black comedians get away with so much like sentimentality That white people are just not allowed to have Especially white dudes that look like you Especially There's a lot of rules And you too There's a lot of
1: rules for us I inter- Do you know who Jared Harris is? Yeah I interviewed him on here, and pretty much the majority of the... Very funny, by the way. He's Oh, he's hilarious, dude. And, like, he's been doing it a minute. So, like, he's been on Comedy Central and George Lopez and all that jazz. But when I was talking to him, the premise of the episode ended up being pretty much that being a white male comic in today's comedy industry is now a handicap instead of, like, a leg up like it used to be. He said they're always looking for minorities now and... Women and things like that, instead of
0: just white dudes, he said, "We're a dying breed." It's um, I wouldn't even say that's a current thing, and I wouldn't even say that's an industry thing. I think that's the nature of comedy. I came into comedy later in life, and all of the rules that apply to any other job are the exact opposite for comedy. Okay, always said that when when a guy walks on. Uh, my friend also said that it was it was really funny of like, let's say when someone like me walks on stage you don't like it. Your first thought is, I don't like him. He looks privileged. <laughs> he, looks, he looks like he you know, he puts money in his 401k or something. Whatever reason yeah. you have to hate me, I understand. And I truly feel the same way when I see someone else who looks like me walk on stage or someone who represents what I represent. But if someone walks on stage who's like fat with a beard and a mustard stain on their shirt, you're like, oh, we're having fun already. Like, <laughs> oh, this is, oh, Am I already laughing? Like, he smells his beer. Whoops. Like, now, if you saw me on a, a ballot for your local congressman, you'd be yeah. like, yeah, that's the guy for the job. If I was the guy who was investing your 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 nest egg, you'd be like, sure, that's what you should look like. You know what yeah. I mean? But when I come on stage as a comedian, it's like, no, no. Yet, <laughs> the guy who you're out, you know, the big old sloppy fat guy, if he was your gynecologist, yeah. you'd be like, ah, like, no, I gotta <laughs> get in a new one. It's so, it's such a weird thing. And then like, you know, in an in interview, like job interviews, you're supposed to be sincere. You're supposed to be, you know, polite. Uh, most comedy, most jokes come from being crass or rude or improper mm-hmm. or or ironic or uh, factually incorrect. So it's just, yeah, comedy is the opposite of everything
1: have you found that true in casting as well like you'll hear women or like asians or black people say they get stereotyped into just typecasted roles have you yeah. found the same as you being just like a bunch of roles as like frat dude or something like that yeah
0: now you're gonna make me sound like a douchebag fit in a hollywood <laughs> i have what's ironic for me is i have yeah you know, i have good representation and i do i do auditions that, that yeah uh and most of <laughs> I'm Most a big of them deal, go nowhere. A... Most of them go absolutely nowhere. Uh-huh. And like my first year in Hollywood, I was just being sent out on like good auditions, and I always said frat boy, douchebag, ski instructor, a lot of guys named Tad. <laughs> um, and yeah. yeah, I was always put out for those roles, and uh, I never did well with those. And actually, what's funny is now I typically do better on parts that are not that. For some reason, uh, I don't think I don't think I'm truly an asshole. <laughs> I think I'm not a great guy, but I don't think I'm a full-on asshole. So when I try to act like the asshole that part asked me to be, it's just not convincing. You did call I'm a it tool. Hollywood, though. What's that? You did call it Hollywood, Hollywood instead of LA. L.A. I'm in Hollywood. Well, I mean, I'm know. talking like the industry. Yeah, I don't think... <laughs> when I say know, I'm not Joe. an asshole, you I'm not know. saying I'm a nice guy. I think I'm just like a huge tool. Okay. Right? And that is more a personality trait. But you like. grew up around a lot of those type of dudes, right? Yeah, that, yeah. So I came to Atlanta for, so I grew up in Corpus Christi and I moved to Atlanta around like uh, 13, 14 and Mm -hmm. went to like for one year of public school and then private school and it blindsided me. (laughs) I thought that like that John Hughes jockocracy was just a thing of the past, was this mythical thing that didn't really exist because when I grew up in Corpus Christi, it was a, you know, I was, I was a minority as a white person. It was a magnet program. So everyone was geeky and wholesome and I didn't see any of that. Uh, and when I came to a place where you're judged for not owning enough Abercrombie or Ralph Lauren, <laughs> I was like, what the fu-? And it was my first taste of elitism and I hated it yet. I was enamored with it at the same time. And a lot of my stage persona is based off of the kids I hated so much in high school. And the irony is at the end of four years, never not really, I hate saying not fitting in, but not of really finding a crowd at my high school. I went to a college that was super nerdy and wholesome And what little traits I had picked up, hairstyles and clothing from, love it, made me seem to people at Rice like this total frat boy. Mm -hmm. So I do it as an homage. I think the boat (laughs) shoes are an homage to a culture I hate but can't. Stop obsessing over.
1: How many people went to Love It High School?
0: 146 in my graduating class. Wow. Okay. Four of whom have passed away, which is fucking crazy and terribly tragic.
1: You couldn't fit in with a, a 146 people.
0: I did fine. Uh-huh. I did fine. No one hated. The people didn't hate me. <laughs> I definitely wasn't with the coolest crowds. I didn't have a girlfriend in high school. I hate that whole, I was such a loser in high school. Maybe I got picked on a little bit my freshman year, because I was smaller then. But that was just by like two kids who were like pieces of shit with their parents getting (laughs) divorced. And they ended up being really nice kids by the end of it all. And and I I just didn't find a group. And part of it was just me being an asshole. Part of it was me being like, well, if I can't fit in with the coolest crowd, I'll kind of just stick to myself uh, and. Basically, I never found so I, had, I had poor social skills. I was probably two or three years behind in terms of social skills, okay. um, and I was, I was a weirdo the way I am now. And uh, basically, somewhere around sophomore year, I gave up on trying to fit in. I realized it was kind of tough uh, for whatever reason. Also, because it's a 14 year school, a lot of those kids are there from the start. Had, I was uh, new as a ninth grader, lifers. Yeah, and uh, I kind of just really dove into academics, got really into swimming, and just worked really hard on those two things. And realized i could find more validation from that so that became that and then my uh social skills were further stunted by that <laughs> from being from, yeah i didn't i didn't the one thing i will say is i didn't go to parties in high school i wasn't really invited to parties until so into my senior year and then i started going out and drinking a little bit and and mm-hmm. that was great and people were really yeah and i gotta say my friends since high school have been incredibly supportive of my high my comedy i have no bad feelings against any of them i was any person I look back on as being a dick to me, I remember I was just as big of a dick and you don't realize it. That's the one thing. Is <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Everyone's like, oh, I was a nerd in high school. Someone has to have been the bully. Someone needs to fess up and admit that they were okay. But you did do nerdy things like making sculptures. I've always had that kind of yeah. stuff. But that's, Those little quirks. I don't know what I'd call it. I mean, and I draw the puns. I mean, my dad was a scientist, man. I, I liked math. That was That was just the stuff that interested me. But then I'm also like a... I'm also a meathead. Like I am mm-hmm. also like I could talk about exercise and working out all day. I <laughs> fucking do CrossFit. Yeah. Like I don't I don't I don't like calling myself a nerd because that's too high of a compliment. You know <laughs> what I mean? It's, okay. it's it's now it's become a flattering when I hear somebody like I'm such a nerd, I'm like, get over yourself. Right? Yeah,
1: I mean it's, it's like you become a cool thing to it's be. It's become now, a cool though. thing.
0: Especially if you're someone who looks like they have it together, someone who like who can dress well is like a decent looking person. Whenever you hear someone like that, be like, "I'm such a nerd." Of like, you can't do both. Shut the fuck up. Get out of here. You're not allowed to be both. And Nobody would see that coming from you. It's just I, mean, I hear that.
1: You know, what I mean, like working twenty hours on like a, a tiny little sculpture with clay and
0: stuff. Like people wouldn't expect that. People say that. that, but I don't. I don't do it for that reason. And that's great that people think that. But that's just... yeah,
1: you do it because your parents made you make
0: your own toys as part of it. <laughs> Man, where did you find that one? <laughs> uh, that was – no, my parents were just uh, – I took – it wasn't – I mean, my parents were supportive of that, but I just really took an interest in that. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, I, I've, from a very young age, found mathematics extremely interesting. I still do. It's just something about my brain, the way my brain is wired. I find mathematics more entertaining than all of Star Wars. And 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 sculpting to me is a very satisfying process because it's a lot of little problems you have to solve along the way to this one goal. Uh, are you sponsored now? Huh, where did you find that? Uh, that was like another sculpty. No, I just sent an email to Sculpty saying, uh-huh. "Hey, I, I have a TV show which has since gotten canceled. <laughs> uh, like I, a, I post these online, and some of them get good traction. Uh-huh. And I was saying, if you guys you know have any T-shirts or anything, they're like." Yeah, we'll just, uh, we'll send you some stuff. And they sent me some stuff. And uh, Sculpey, by the way. Oh, Sculpey. Uh, Poly. what's their, what's their brand name? Uh, Polyform is the company. Sculpey is the brand. They make a great product. I've been using, I swear to God, I've been using them <laughs> since I was four or five. Uh, they make the best stuff. They also make uh, stuff called Primo. Which is a a slightly better version of Sculpey. If you're really into sculpting, I highly recommend Primo. It's Just a little firmer, holds a little tougher. So, and that's something I swear I know they don't pay me anything. Uh-huh. It, I swear to God, it's helped my brain with with spatial perception. And if you're like a parent and you're considering buying your kids Legos and listening to this, highly recommend just buying a you know a, a twelve pack of, of Sculpey. It can really it's really cool. A lot of freedom. Is there anything else your
1: parents made you? do kind of independently growing up? They just really pushed me into
0: academics. Okay, Very little else. Um, they uh, didn't push me into sports. I really, really pushed myself into sports. They, let, they signed me up for all this stuff, but I was like, I don't feel like doing soccer anymore. I was like, fine. They never made me stick with a sport. I discovered running in middle school. Really loved that, and I did that on my own. And my parents supported it. They'd like sign me up for 5Ks and they'd be you know, like, oh, wait, we found this group you can train with. But they weren't like, go run today. Uh, <laughs> and then I quit that for some stupid reason. And then late in high school, I got into swimming and they made me pay for my own swimming classes as uh, not wow. like, well, it was a good lesson of as much as, you know, your coaches and your, your peers try to make you think that sports are important for someone like you, for someone who won't even be a D1 athlete, they're not. So you need to learn that sports is playtime. That's your, that's your recreation. When you come home, you have to do homework. But that's not like you didn't do work. You just had fun. And they had you later in life. So is that yeah. maybe something else? They were just like, let yeah. the kid just. Yeah, they, were, uh, they gave me a lot of attention. My dad was retired when I was like 11. My mom was, was retired as well most of my life. And uh, gave me a lot of attention. But I was a, I was a really stubborn kid. Um, I didn't really, there was no, I was talking to my friend about this, there was no incentive that you could give me, negative or positive, to actually make me do something. You could pay me, they, you know, they tried paying me money for grades, they tried punishing me, and it wasn't until, and I didn't work that hard until sophomore year, when, mm-hmm. like I said, I, I realized that, oh, it's really validating to make good grades, and it's the only validation I can achieve, and then I started working really hard, because it was for myself, but yeah, I was a, I was a piece of shit, I was a hard kid to raise. You're stubborn. Stubborn. What about how old, how much you have a brother? Is that brother, right? Brother five years older. He's five years older. So yeah, my parents had me when they were both in their forties and they had him five years before me. So,
1: but the swimming paid off cause that helped you get a, at least a partial scholarship to it rice. Did.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And that was a huge coincidence. I just really love swimming and I'm, I'm really a big fan of swimming, not even just doing it. Just, I, I keep up with the sport. Um, I got to meet a, a, one of my favorite pro swimmers recently, which is cool. Um, and, uh, went to a school by basically by the time i was really into swimming i'd already applied to rice and gotten in and they mm. didn't have a men's program so i was like i want to keep it up somehow so then i yeah uh look into being manager of the swim team in that, and that i got a very sizable scholarship from that so and then what what was your uh major computer well i started as a mechanical engineer because that was what my brother did okay and uh then your parents <laughs> didn't or they didn't like applied you moved on and they didn't like that well, they didn't. The, the story I think you're thinking of is I, I wanted to major in physics or math. Right. Um, And my mom was like, no, rice is expensive. You need a degree that can help you get a job. And I was like, sure. I wasn't like, I didn't fight him on that. I was like, sure. Engineering will still be fine. Anything with numbers, I'll probably have fun. Started in mechanical engineering and, and kind of realized it was a mistake because mechanical was farther from what I did, uh, further from what I did. Um, I probably would have liked electrical, but by that point it was too late to change. And Then I took two classes in the same semester in the CAM department, computational and applied mathematics, okay. and I called my parents. I was like, hey, this stuff's really fun, extremely employable as well. Can I switch to this? And they were like, sure. I ended up basically minoring in mechanical engineering, taking all my electives in that. So was so that your focus? I, was my f- I mean, unofficially, no. I was, just, I was three classes short of a BA, mm-hmm. and I filled my electives in mechanical engineering, but I could have used those credits to probably get a job as an engineer. Uh, I didn't go that route, though. Well, where did applied math take you? Uh, Interestingly, I was just very lazy. I was not a great student in college. I was very lazy and only applied for one job. What was your GPA in school, though? Low. Low? Uh, Do I want to say? Over (laughs) 3.0. And that's low. (laughs) But not by much. That's over average, though. My my entire, my entire, God, I feel so embarrassed saying this. I, I made some bad grades. My major GPA was a 3.3. 3. Okay. But that was accounting for a class. Uh, that was because I took a class, made a D, and then took it again, which boosted it. Uh, and that was cutting out a lot of other, uh, you know, my, my other classes. Uh, my overall average was lower than that, but narrowly above a 3.0. Um, to be fair, my major was really hard. Yeah, well, <laughs> It was yeah. really, really tough. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and I was probably one of the dumbest people in that department for sure. So um, there were 30 kids who took CAM and wow. the entire school wow
1: when i was there yeah so then that took you i didn't want to backtrack on your grade and make no, you no, uncomfortable.
0: No. i don't know like, no, oh, I, no. I was at that point it was fun in college i was very distracted by swimming yeah i just swam a lot and used it to escape my problems and
1: you got invited to parties in college though yeah okay that was cool. the thing
0: about rice is the, the the social hierarchy was so much like lower mm-hmm. because everyone was so nerdy that being like a party guy meant like drinking once every two weeks, and, and you were like a fratty alcoholic. <laughs> so that I was kind of perceived that way. Okay. And I was friends with the kids who really did party hard, uh, who really were that. But then again, it was Rice. So it was all, one of my best friends was like this, perceived as this big old party guy, Matt, but he had a perfect SAT score. He made some of the highest grades his professor had ever seen in, in certain wow. classes. And everyone was smart. Every, all of my friends. I was, I'm one of the dumbest out of my group of friends, and I'm very proud of that. A dumb, uh, a dumb, smart person, though. Yeah, I'd, I'd like to think so. Okay. Even the ones who weren't in the mathematics department were like great at math. Like, even my friends <laughs> who were like poli sci majors or like business management majors were still like, were, like Yeah, calculus was easy.
1: <laughs> <laughs> great. So, your parents thought math may be unemployable, but how did it work out as far as employment?
0: Applied math, um, basically, uh, sorry, applied math. I yeah. didn't want to downgrade it. Apply, well. Applied math is more employ. It's it's compared to a math degree. There's mm-hmm. a lot more. You you actually learn to code, and they, they recruit like oil companies will recruit, recruit you directly to be a quantitative analyst, or, okay. or financial companies love love that background. I ended up applying to a company, a nonprofit that did um, online curriculum for basically grades three through six. So it was for inner city schools where the math teacher might be overworked. And it was this online thing that the kids could just go through the entire curriculum at their own pace. Uh, it was very well done. Um, and uh, it was a bu- the people they hired were a bunch of people like me, young, coming out of good schools with mathematics degrees or something, mm-hmm. or comp sci degrees, really bright bunch and really big twinkly eyes trying to save the world. And uh, I, I was with them and uh, I started, I was, they hired a bunch of people as a, I forgot what they're called. Um, basically people who were point persons for all these districts and schools they work with. So they travel around helping the teachers implement the program it was most of the people. There were a couple analysts who did more technical work. And then I was the lone curriculum editor. Don't know why I did that. Don't know why I signed up for that job. I was very bad at it. So they ended up <laughs> moving me over to the new sales department where my job was to try to recruit uh, schools to um, districts to adopt our curriculum, um, but uh, how long did that last? Eight months. Oh yeah. And then I got uh, two job offers from people, basically through swimming. Actually, people wow. I knew through swimming were both both worked in private. Two different people who worked in private wealth management who needed a quant or needed just an analyst. And I ended up going with one of those guys, the one I knew better. And a quant the other job I didn't take would have been far more quantitatively uh, 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 what's the word um, fulfilling and um, I it would have been more MATLAB it would have been more programming actually getting really gritty with with the numbers and actually okay. playing with the the computer programs that would have done actually well that would have the, the mathematical analysis that would have determined which trades to make, which stocks to buy, the allotment, all that. Wow. I wish I would gotten into that because that I might have been able to do. Uh, I ended up doing le- much less quantitative work, much more um, clerical, secretarial work at my other job. But then a big portion of it was interacting with clients. So it was a lot of the client relations side, which, you know, it's just sales skills. Well, lucky for us you took that route because comedy came alive. I guess. I think I would have done comedy either way. Oh was so yeah? right around the time I was looking to switch jobs um I was around the time I started doing uh stand up yeah and what did your
1: parents what was their reaction to? You're like, oh, okay, I went to this school and now I'm gonna just tell jokes in front of strangers
0: they were, my mom my dad never had any problem with any of it. My dad's fine with everything I do um so long as I'm happy, well, not everything I do, but he's he's been okay with the choices I've made uh my mom was disappointed I didn't pursue a better job out of college she still is she was like you just took the you just took the first job that got offered to you (laughs) she was kind of right um the job i did choose gave me the flexibility to start doing open mics every night which slowly tore my life apart um how so just being out till one Mm -hmm. trying to hit two three mics a night and you get when you start doing comedy you're so into it that it's hard to focus on anything else yeah god when did you start i started 2010 Okay, Yeah, I was around that, I was
1: 11, yeah. Yeah. Uh, in Atlanta? Yeah, well I started when I was in school in Tennessee. What's school? Like my second semester, I went to Maryville College. Mm-hmm. So it was like 15 minutes from Knoxville. Knoxville had a comedy club, so I would go there like twice a month for the last semester of my senior year. And then when I came to Atlanta, that's when I just started yeah. hitting so, like
0: rampant. That was a taste of it, basically. You yeah, it was a little yeah. taste. Because yeah. yeah. I don't know if everyone who listens to this comedy, but doing it twice a month is fun, but... You're probably, by your current standards, my current sense not a comedian yet. No. You're learning some stuff, but you're not, yeah. You can't get any momentum uh, or anything. I think it was three months before I dove in, three, four months. I started in, like, July, and I was doing it once a week and then skipping every now and then, and then I was like, oh, wait, there's other nights of the week? And mm-hmm. I was just like, oh. And then I applied the kind of the same attitude I had learned with, like, swimming and running of just get some reps in. Just go out and do it as much as you can, yep. and it all might feel like it sucks, but trust you're getting better. And that was in Houston, right? I was in Houston. So they had a they have a pretty good scene where you can get up nightly like that. At the time, not a great one, but shows most nights, and that was just a couple months of that. I quickly moved up to the club there. They're they're kind of a I hate to say it B room, um, uh-huh. and, uh huh, and that's Coco. You hear jingling, <laughs> um, coconut. We changed her name. Um, but, yeah, we had, like, the one thing about Houston mics is it's, it's not comic crowds. It was strangely real crowds. We mm-hmm. had crossover mics with music and poetry. We had, yeah. So, and then the, our Monday open mic was great. If you got a good spot, it felt like a club. And that was the first set I ever did was, like, third, fourth on the lineup in front of a room full of mostly not comedians. And I, I don't know if my comedy <laughs> career would have gone the same way if I had gone up on a rougher night or a rougher spot. So how long did it take you to get into the club? I was in within seven months. Okay. And then you win Houston's Funniest within a how year. many months? A year. A year? A one, one week short of a year in. But that was because I was just getting, for some reason, Danny Martinez, who ran the, uh, the, uh, the joke, fuck, it's not the joke joint, it's the, uh, the comedy showcase. Uh, he met me and he just, something he liked about me and he uh, started giving me guest spots once or twice a month with a guest spot there. They didn't have a feature. They just mm-hmm. had two 10 to 15 minute acts between the host and the headliner. And I was getting 10 to 15 minutes, two times in a night. Um, wow. A couple times a month, and a completely contained captive crowd, which you learn so much. I mean, I, I learned to swim in the shallow end, which is, mm-hmm. you know, doing open mics is the, I mean, it's still fucking hard. It's like as good as I get at comedy, open mics are still hard, are yeah. still the hardest room. Yeah, yeah. And getting to learn in an easier situation. So leading up to that contest, I, I was just getting a lot of stage time, and so I did a couple. So I remember it was what like started in July, and then by January, February, I was starting to get those guest spots, and then in April, I was starting to get host work there. And the contest came around that summer, and I remember when I started the contest, the the difference in my abilities between starting the contest and ending the contest. I remember I became a better comic in those like six weeks, yeah, because I was but I was like doing okay in the in the prelims and then the semis I was doing a little better and then the finals and I was doing as many mics as I fucking could during the whole time because I really really wanted to win and I will say that part of the reason I won was because I think the comics in town people judging it weren't looking at my ability they were looking at my trajectory they were looking at me as Mm. a he's good for a year in which you shouldn't judge a contest based on (laughs) you know you shouldn't give me a handicap you should say who's the best comic so I think I got this weird thing of like this kid might potentially do something outside of Houston. Let's, let's throw all the weight behind him now. So, yeah. It's cool to start there, though, like Bill Hicks and Sam Kennison did. So it's something you can Kinda. always say. Yeah, I'm proud to have started in a city and a scene where it was a little rougher. Mm-hmm. We had a lot of bars. I remember doing a lot of shows where there was a football game playing. So did you just move right after the contest? No. No, I stuck around another year. Okay. I did a contest I did another contest and then that second year, so a year in a comedy album twenty-four, win the win those two contests and uh Oh, you won both. There was another one, nice. I ended up winning that one too, which was nuts, which was such a fun feeling. That was a smaller contest, but it felt really good. Uh-huh. Um then I started uh doing uh trying to get to feature work trying to get at the improv so i started hosting at the improv which was the bigger club which got me you know doing shows with like ali wong and hannibal burris which was cool. crazy fun and those are still people i'm friends with because when you yeah when you work with people on the road uh learn some skills there worked my way up to feature work in in dallas and austin uh while still just an opener in houston you know that's a it's a fun mm-hmm. trick when you when you yeah. They don't see you bomb as much, so they, they trust – you know what I mean? <laughs> and still uh, working the job Still well. working the job. Oh, yeah. Using wow. vacation days. And about a year and a half in – I think it's February, so a year and seven months in to comedy, I did I, – I just kind of – Well, what had happened was uh, Cap City in Austin, uh, I remember. I asked my friend Bob Biggerstaff, who was headlining that weekend, if I could do guest spots, just drive down to Austin, do some guest spots, figure it would be worth something. One of the ladies who worked there saw me and was like, hey, you want to ever come host here? Let me know. You want to ever do some spots here? So I got on her radar. She put me on a Comedy Central showcase and at the Mm. year and a half mark or so, I did that showcase and those idiots picked me to be on their show (laughs) without looking into how little time I had been doing comedy. So a few months later, still less than two years in, I flew out and did my set, used vacation days and... I think within a few months of that basically a little after the two-year mark i was like i gotta get to la i have no idea why i thought i had to get there so bad yeah there's no reason i didn't want to go full-time the big thing was i didn't want to go full-time it was never my time my uh, goal to go full-time i wanted to keep that job until it was pried from my hands and uh that happened sooner than i'd like because of unfortunate circumstances but uh it's unfortunate yeah uh so basically my, my boss allowed, uh, agreed to, it was actually his idea. I basically sat down with my boss that summer and I was like, hey, you, you know, I do this on the side, you know, it's going pretty well for me. I, I just gotta, I gotta get to LA. I have a manager out there now. I've got some things kind of rolling. And uh, he was like, sure. Would you like to work full time for me remotely? And I was like, like, like Scooby Doo, wow. like what? <laughs> like just like, a, <laughs> I was like, yeah. And I remember I, I told my mom that. And I got a call from my aunt that was just like, Matthew, just want to wish you congratulations on getting to you know, keep your job while moving to LA. And I was like, you guys know I'm going to be on TV, right? And they're like, <laughs> this is a bigger deal. And I'm like, yeah, you're right, it is. Uh, and then like, as soon as I got to... So basically, I ended up going to Austin for a while, then San Francisco for a little while on the way. And my car... I shouldn't say this on a podcast. I say this too much because it's bad. But my car got broken into, my work computer got stolen, mm. and it was just a bad thing it was a bad thing it made me look bad it was bad for the company and it led to me resigning in quotation marks so okay. it was uh so before i even stepped foot in la i didn't have the job anymore so i was like damn i really wanted to did not want a full time at two years <laughs> in that was not my goal <laughs> but before you even stepped foot in la you had a
1: comedy central showcase I had a, I, I had life. my
0: Adam Devine's house party set recorded, yeah. I had a manager and I had a college agent, which ended up being the biggest thing. Within two years. Within two years. <laughs> I did my first, I, I headlined a college yeah. when I was a year two years and one month in, Dartmouth. You did an hour? Not Dartmouth, Johns Hopkins. A college show, you gotta I did do an 45, hour. 45, 50 maybe. <sighs> and then I did, oh, you know was the funny part? And this is the musician, because I got forced out so early, I remember just being like, and like, agents are great, but like, so they kind of just don't give a fuck. Like Mm -hmm. I was like, so I have to go do this college and do an hour? They're like, yeah, sure, you'll do it. I'm like, but I don't have an hour. They're like, just play like a YouTube video at the end. (laughs) And I was like... I was like, well, I have Monday Punday. Maybe I'll just put Monday Punday right, on the screen. Right. And now I do that every time. And now, like, I'm working on a game show with that because I had to do Monday Punday just to right. fill the time. Now I don't have to do Monday Punday to fill the time, but I, I like to throw it in. So. And you were doing all these, drawing all these puns while working still, right? I started that, that before I started. I started doing comedy. Yeah. Okay, so yeah. when I was working a desk job. So it was something my English teacher, I need to give her more credit. Ms. Schwartz was my uh, speech and debate teacher, and she just had this big old stockpile of wuzzles, and mm-hmm. hers were more word-based, but some of them were closer to the style I go for, and students could submit them in every class. Every day, she'd put up five, and at the beginning of class, you're like, raise your hand if you know this one, and whoever got it got a Jolly Rancher, and it woke up the brand, and I thought they were cool, and I always used to think about them and draw them for her, and then I started, you know, when I was working at the nonprofit, I would just draw them on the back of the office papers, show them to coworkers, and, uh,
1: and now it's an app. Now it's a, yeah, it's an app that I did
0: not design. Yeah.
1: So you you get Comedy Central two years in. How long until MTV
0: Two comes around? Another year. Jeez, man. Less. Jeez. So I was in LA. Wow. I was in LA. Got NACA Nationals shortly after after my losing my job, which wow. was such a blessing and I booked a lot of shows. So that was like, Oh, I'm stable. I'd also had a lot of money saved up. So I could have just coasted, but I hate the idea of just burning into savings while making no income. Mm -hmm. Started getting the college shows and I did a good number. So I got to, I got to uh, LA in October. And then in May I did some showcase that my manager set me up for, for MTV and just just through some crazy luck, had a great set and ended up uh, working with MTV on a couple things. So, and that paid some bills for a while too. Jeez. <laughs> but there's – it's not all – there's a the thing is like a year is a fairly long time. And you think from that story of like it's all just this – like I'm this elevator that's shooting straight up. There's big lows. There's big – when I got to L.A., I couldn't yeah. find any stage time. I went to open mics. I had a bad attitude. I had just a bad fucking attitude. I felt so entitled. I'd be like, I paid my dues in Houston. I have my feature set. I know what I'm doing. Now put me on shows. And that's the worst. Any comic listener to this – doesn't matter how funny you are if you act entitled to stage time you're not getting it you're not gonna get it i don't care if you're jerry seinfeld if you walk in that room like i should be on that stage right now no one's gonna you talk shit about people you talk shit about bookers you're not gonna get booked and man if there's only if there's one signal i could send back through time is walk into la like you're a nobody Mm. and 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 have just have a world of humility because you're not a good comic yet. And I'm still not a good comic and it's it's going to take time and just have some understanding. That this is all, you know, just have some patience for God's sake. And it's it's it was funny because all the career stuff was happening for me. Right. Money was not an issue, but it was still like, it's still a very slow upward trend towards getting more stage time around town. I'd, I'd like more. I don't think, I'm not saying I deserve more, but it would be really cool to have... You know, a, a fun show every night. It's And uh, m- most comics, even like some of my really good friends who are doing way better than I am, still don't get shows every night.
1: So you say you may not. The career is taking off. You could say like Elevator, like you said. <laughs> but <laughs>
0: Be, between MTV and then like yeah. things dipped T-shows and then I got Montreal MTV. and then things picked back up. Well, yeah. But then I lost all. Co- MTV hasn't called me in, in months, years now. And, you know, I and I haven't the show called got canceled in, in 28 years. <laughs> so, <laughs> and and not to hate on MTV, maybe you know maybe they're just looking for something else right now. But then and there's been there's been periods of like, and there's the constant thing of like, how am I going to be making money in six months? I look at my calendar of like I have three college shows in October. Other than that, I have nothing after June. And then so how long have you been doing comedy up to today? I'm I'm about to hit the 5 year mark. So almost 5
1: years. Yeah. And then you got another knock on the door for comedy central. I'm doing a Comedy Central half hour which is within 5 years. That's is great. that crazy?
0: Is the is that crazy? That feel I, I it in my everything I've done in comedy thus far, this is such an inside podcast. This is not like this is <laughs> such a like a uh, politicalism with all the politicking. There have been times where I felt like I'm ahead of my – because there's always there's this idea of that you're pacing career-wise in common, and comedy. Mm-hmm. And there were times for the first two years in, I knew that I was way ahead of schedule and that there were very bad things about that. And I knew I was getting cocky. Uh, year three slapped me down. Getting to L.A., it slapped me down. I'm happy yeah. for it. Got Montreal – and so I felt like I was falling behind again. So after Comedy Central and the Houston's Funnies, I thought I was falling behind again. Then I got Montreal. Then I felt like I was back on pace. Not cra- Making Montreal, what was it, four years in, didn't feel crazy. Didn't feel like I was cheating anyone. I feel like that's happened to other people. Getting a half hour this year feels like, uh-oh. <laughs> Uh-oh, I skipped the grade and I shouldn't have cuz I look at who else got it and it's like Jesus, I'm with some heavyweights. Yeah. These people are people I consider thoroughly better comics. Like, yeah, I mean, we know, I'm sure we both know people have been doing it like 10, 15
1: years and they're like, "Oh, I got on Craig Ferguson. This is great." <laughs> it's not nice. it's like the half hours, man. Like, do you think it's part of you having such early success, are you just good at like calculating success? Sadly, yeah. Calculating your moves, like,
0: yeah. Annoyingly, yeah. I'd like to think it's all on talent, but it's a lot of it's on kind of knowing, uh, it's a lot of luck and it's a lot of like knowing where to be when in terms of politicking and, uh, yeah, how to position myself. And it's also a big thing, and I've said this before, but. Uh, Big thing every comic doesn't put enough stock into. And this sounds so horrible, but being financially stable is fucking everything. It's everything. People are like, go out there with the you know five bucks in your pocket, find a job as a waiter. But like, well, first of all, waiter, you're working nights, so you're gonna have to skip mics. Yeah. Then you can't. And then money is freedom. Get a good day job. Like, look at Moshe Kasher. He was making great money as a sign language interpreter. He didn't have to worry about going on the road. He didn't have to worry about booking Yoder gigs or whatever they are. <laughs> like, for my in my case, college gigs pay a lot of money, but I'm out of town doing yeah. college gigs. I'm missing pilot season. I'm missing cool shows around town. Out. Um, having money, having a financial stability is a big factor, one that was incredibly helpful for me throughout your whole life, throughout every yeah, growing <laughs> up a spoiled brat. Yeah. <laughs> but just having that day, and I took such pride in having a nine to five and doing comedy. And like nine to five is the way to go. People think nine to five conflicts with comedy. Nine to five is the best schedule to have because you finish at five, go do a six o'clock mic, and then do four more. And then if you can manage on six hours of sleep. You can do both lives, and I swear to God, you'll get... W- I spent so much more time sitting and writing when I had a day job where I wasn't allowed to be doing that yeah. than I do now that I can just wake up whenever I feel like it. <laughs> um, so that was a big... The, the financial freedom was a big part of it. And then, yeah, knowing what to go for and when uh, was, was was helpful. And then uh, good good representation. They, they did some cool stuff for me.
1: So they've been pulling a lot of strings as well. They help. They really do. And yeah. I like to... And you also have a look. We could say like a Winkle Voss, we, we could say, say it, before. Yeah, Like I've,
0: this guy. I hear that from time to time. Yeah, <laughs> I've got yeah something you can put on, put on a CW show or something. Yeah. <laughs> Which is fine. Great. I'm not going to complain about it. Yeah, sure.
1: But like you did allude to earlier, with the big highs, there are big lows. And something I always ask my guests on here is all comedians bomb, of course. Some to the extent of being booed. Like, do you have a boo story?
0: She's. One second. My mom's calling for the dog. Perfect (laughs) timing. Mom!
1: Coco's in here. Oh, we were just talking about the uh, bottom of my career. Could you
0: come in here? uh, A boo? No. An
1: epic bomb. Even maybe an audition, how bad you bombed. Just, we're Uh, hearing all all, all the time. We're hearing all these great things you've done. Tell us the rock bottom of Matthew Broussard
0: performing on stage. I uh, I remember one thing, and I wouldn't say... its I don't know if it's significant the way you're thinking, but I remember I was less than a year into comedy, and at uh, Rudyard's, they had a Sunday mic that wasn't as good as the Monday. I showed up, and we're like, oh, let's do this. And I was, what, like four months in, five months in? Four months in or something like that. Mm-hmm. And I thought I had some jokes. I thought I was kind of getting it. <laughs> uh, only two people in the audience, and they were just sitting there listening and playing along nicely, but they were interactive because it was a small and I didn't know... Then you have a two-person room. You have to be interactive. You can't just do jokes. And I and Owen Dunn went up before me and actually got him somehow, got a two-person crowd laughing. And I walked up, and I just tried to tell my stupid jokes. to be like, isn't it weird they celebrate Christmas and Harry Potter? Because if they believe in magic, then Jesus was just a show-offy wizard. And, something like that. <laughs> and some girl in the audience is like, and the, sorry, some girl in the audience, the girl the in the girl, audience yeah, yeah. was like, ooh, uh, no, I don't like religion jokes. And I was like, okay, why do you want me to say something like that? And I forgot what was, it. Uh, I was I think it. I was like, it's not a religion joke, it's a magic joke. She was like, well, maybe you should wish to be funnier. <laughs> and I was saying it was something, I can't remember what it was, but like, don't worry, we'll never see you on television. I think it was some comment to that effect. Wow, Don't remember what the wording of the context was, but it was some comment to that effect. And I was like, man, man. I got off stage. Mm-hmm. I remember just like, that's my entire motivation for the rest of my career to get on television. <laughs> <laughs> so, anytime you get something big,
1: you're like, I showed that girl. Yeah,
0: and she wouldn't remember me, and I wouldn't remember her at this point, but I remember it was just like, a... <sighs> well, I appreciate that honest story. Yeah. Uh, one cool thing
1: you said at, at my show this past Wednesday that's every Wednesday at Java Monkey. Indicator. It's a great show. What a fun room. Oh, thank you, man. I'm glad you come out and headline it. Oh, so fun. Thank you. You should everyone should check out that show. And a, a line that stuck out to me in your act was you said talking about math and how much you love it. Mm-hmm. And you said you love math because math is truth. Yeah. And that made me think, well, comedy is truth.
0: Like in a, a different of, way.
1: But a lot yeah. of people, I was I was hoping you'd be able to draw parallels between the two worlds, just because you know, a lot of people are saying, you know, the, the funniest stuff comes from an honest place. Mm-hmm. And you're saying math is honest. So I don't know if you've been able to draw parallels between the two worlds or maybe you've developed a joke algorithm or something.
0: I do look at, I mean, I don't. I don't I, when I say math is the truth, I mean that in any conceivable universe, the Pythagorean theorem still holds true. That If God exists, not even he or she could make a, a right triangle that contradicts that. Okay, That's the beauty of it. It's just truth. It's just logic. It just happens to have numbers involved. Um, there's truth in comedy, but that's... One of the things I like in comedy is like when we talk about truth in comedy. I like that when you lie in a joke and it makes the truth more evident. Whereas there's a famous quote, and I don't know who it's by, but it's um, historians deal in facts, comedians deal in the truth. Where It's mm. like I'm adding characters to the story. I'm trumping up dialogue and, and the experience and my own vulnerabilities to, to convey a feeling. And I have, to, I have to exaggerate to get that feeling across, but now you feel what I felt in that moment which is a great a thing you share with the audience of like, no, that wasn't how it happened. I didn't have to follow that person that day. I didn't, I wasn't wearing that that morning and that mm-hmm. crowd didn't say that to me or something like that. But it, now you know that moment of vulnerability of, 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 uh, of pain for me, you get to empathize for a moment because I gave you details that made it, yeah, helped you get in that mindset. Is there a formula to your joke writing? Uh, not intentionally, but I look over my jokes and I notice patterns. I notice little things like uh the, the the jokiness of a joke is something I always pay attention to. Whereas a smaller joke takes less investment but takes more but, but gets a smaller laugh, or a bigger joke. And when I talk big jokes, I mean puns or misdirection tend to be considered the lowest forms of humor. But if they're done at the right point in a set, Mm. they can be bombshells. They can be thunderclaps, especially if you don't do many of them and you hit them when they're most, because comedy is usually a good punchline is something unexpected. So a pun is usually very unexpected because the pun Mm -hmm. usually blurs reality and usually a contrived way, but hopefully not super contrived. And misdirection is when you really set them up to think one thing and you specifically turn it another way, knowing that their brain wasn't already thinking that. Uh, those two things are usually done very inelegantly by new comedians. But I've always noticed that using those as buttons mm, okay. on longer jokes, mm-hmm. they pop right there. But if I put them too early in the joke, then I've betrayed you as an audience. Then now I feel like I'm lying or now you think it's contrived and now I can't continue talking about that. So I noticed the formulas in that. I notice the smaller jokes are better to pepper in along the way. So it's these these – and then – in my mind I see, I I haven't counted but I think it's like 8 to 12 joke structures, joke devices in which most comedy lays and now I'm not stuck to that and I really, really enjoy when I hear a joke and I can't figure out which it fits into. But where like standard devices I I consider as a hyperbole, hyperbole is one wordplay, simile simile metaphor, all those comparisons um, misdirection, obviously shock um tie-ins tie-ins are one of, uh, are probably the best kinds of jokes um where you can connect two things right uh, uh in in a weird way of I'm yeah. trying to think of it what's a good example of like a tie-in joke of
1: uh, well I'll I'll use like Venn diagrams to tie two things together yeah. like as far as like the writing process mm-hmm. like I have jokes about me- like com- connecting Mexican and Chinese people mm-hmm. and I did like a Venn diagram to find parallels to create the joke that way
0: yeah yeah, what's a oh, what's a good because a lot of times I think about that too. But when you draw like a good joke is when you pick two ideas that you want to unite and you expand out like a spider, like a like a, okay. and then you find any two points where they may have a similar overlap. Uh You're about like a mind map type deal. Maybe maybe we'll just like nodal of like here's an idea, here's anything related to that idea. I'm gonna use oh, a Tony okay. Hinchcliffe joke. He okay. did a roast joke, and props to Tony. He's one of the best roast comics alive. He was roasting. um uh, Ron Jeremy Okay, and the joke was Ron looks like you put on a little weight there recently you, know, you don't have to eat all those pizzas you fake deliver <laughs> now how that joke was created what it was take he's, he's fat now let's think of all the things that relate to being fat One of those things is pizza. Now let's take all the things that relate to being a porn star delivering fake pizza. You found two things: you find fatness and porn, and you found two ways in which they connect. That's to me a tie-in. That's the best joke. Okay. Those are my favorite jokes, and I don't have enough of them. They're my favorite kind of jokes, Hmm. but yeah. Well, you you're having been doing it five years, so you still have time. I'd like to, yeah, yeah.
1: But you're tapping into. You're starting to. Tap into the truth a little bit more, too. Like I'd like to, yeah. Getting away from jokey jokes and more. Like, you know, you were experimenting with material at my show that mm-hmm. was a little more personal.
0: Yeah, talking about my parents, which is funny about that, and I, I'm not a good storyteller. It's a skill I really, really have always been trying to develop, and it's, it's a, there's a lot of tricks to it that I haven't learned, but good storytelling is the best. It's yeah. the best. Mulaney. Yeah. Uh, but w- what's fun is when a joke works based on dialogue or, or when punches in a joke are things that actually just happened Mm -hmm. and you're just describing a thing that actually happened, an (laughs) event or a piece of dialogue that actually said, and the one thing I have in my life right now that does that is my mom because I can just use things she actually said as just like, boom, (laughs) punchline. And it's not even, it's like literally her words. I mean, I'll change the timing, but it's still verbatim what she said. (laughs) It's easy to joke, right? Just from family. Yeah, it's great. I mean, great. it's good to have those
1: sources. Yeah. So are, is she happy with your success now? Or no. is she still like, you should have
0: taken a job? No, she still hates it. Wow. She still hates it. Right, mom? Uh, she's outside.
1: <laughs> she doesn't even want to be around you doing a podcast. She's yeah. She's in there she, playing podcast. She no,
0: she doesn't. Uh, she said something recent a little while ago that was like really of like a, Oh, I get it. it Which was, was like, it made me understand everything. She's a pessimistic person. She's, she's unhappy sometimes. She's had, she's had some rough things in her life and she's, she's not a happy person. She's not good at seeing things, uh, seeing the good in things sometimes. And one time she said to me, uh, she says, listen, not many people make it in comedy. To make it in comedy, you have to be really lucky. You have to be really fortunate. And you're my son and I've never been a lucky person. Wow. So if you succeed, that would mean I'm a lucky person. And I don't think that's the case. <laughs> so I'm not saying I doubt your abilities. I doubt myself. I doubt that life will work out that well for me. And that's why I project that onto you, which is, a, I was like, oh. So now people are like, are you sad your mom doesn't? I'm like, no, I get it. Like, that's fair. She's just cautious on my behalf. That's and fine.
1: Your dad was a, is a scientist. And what, what was your
0: mom's profession? Um, she got a... Uh, Masters in microbiology and cell immunology. She worked in that. Okay. But sadly, her degree became quickly antiquated because of technology right around that time. So she didn't get to work in that field as much as she did, but knows a crazy amount about all that stuff. so but she, she thinks You won't companies.
1: make it because she's not lucky, but what is
0: making it to you then?:
1: Or I'm to happy her? with
0: every. I'm just happy paying bills yeah Now I'd like for long term stability uh which I don't have, but currently things are okay. I don't know where things will be in a year. one YouTube video of me saying the n word my whole career could be over, <laughs> but uh I'd like some longevity whether it's you know that's easy to avoid I, I don't know it's <laughs> don't a pretty great it. word <laughs> uh get that great sound just pleasing uh, I would say uh what was the question my my oh, what is making, making it, it yeah I've already achieved the goals I wanted to achieve, especially by this age. Okay. Just getting on Comedy Central is like the biggest fucking thing for me. I, yeah, I said yeah. like, I think even when that happened, I've always been like, well, here on out, this is just a victory lap. If I have to go back to, to you know, get a master's in electrical or something like that, I still have this. I still have these stories. Uh, I'm not one of those people. I'm not one mm-hmm. of those people like it's this or nothing. I think that's a s- stupid impractical idea i think hey if it doesn't work out i gave it a shot and it was really fun i never planned on this never as a kid that i ever i was very strange as a kid in that i was always like yeah i'm gonna be a math teacher or an engineer that was it And i was i never thought about any of that stuff just because my parents it just drilled into my head of like you're not gonna be a rock star no kid of ours is gonna be a rock star damn it never did music never did theater never did anything that would have led to that was too bad at sports to know that that was a possibility or to think that was a possibility so um I, yeah, just now I'm at the point where it's just, yeah, if I get to keep making funny stuff, it'd be nice.
1: What's the goal? Like, you you create
0: specific goals? and like I'd love to sell tickets. Okay. I'd love for people to be coming to see me. And my biggest goal is just I'd love to make a really kick-ass album. Mm-hmm. I'd love to release a special that comics look at. and like, that was a good album. I, I'd love to have something out there that, you know, that some new comic looks at the same way that I maybe looked at, like, uh, New in Town or something. That's a, that's a little bit lofty of a goal because <laughs> New in Town the best album of all time. But, you know, that's like a cool album out there. Is it TV? More TV? Like your own maybe? Sure. Yeah, I'd love to do. Oh, a day, like really hefty goal is to do something like Daily Show or be involved with something where it's like, Something that's funny secondary to being smart because okay. my, my whole philosophy, my whole family's philosophy is education and expanding your mind mm-hmm. is, is your purpose in life. It's what we as humans do, it's what's made us better, it's what will make the world better ultimately is having more thoughtful, intelligent people. And almost secondary to, uh, to, to altruism, I think that you want to improve this. There's a lot of people in this world who are like good, kind people who don't make the world a better place but then like the, the guy who invented penicillin may have been a child molester, but he invented penicillin. So what's his net uh, effect on society? Positive, mm. right? So I think at our current status, I think we benefit more from, from expanding technology and education and, and the access to information than anything. And I also feel, and this is a very uh, quixotic ideal, that if you're smart enough, uh, being a good person it will come out of that. Logical thinking will tell you that being a, a decent human being and volunteering is part of a fulfilling life. Now, I know I'm wrong. i like, obviously that's wrong. Cause there's plenty of wicked and people who are also very intelligent, but, but you did some volunteering
1: like in high school and stuff too, didn't you?
0: Yeah. Just for resume building.
1: Yeah. <laughs> You said that so... You just did a whole diatribe about volunteering and being a good person. You're like, well, I just did that for the resume.
0: Yeah, well, <laughs> I'm self, I'm
1: very selfish
0: right now. I'm working on my career. <laughs> I'd like to, when it's all over, like, really what... You know like, every comedian, like, stands for something? Of, like, I don't care about being edgy or telling the truth. I just want more people to get into mathematics and anything that comes from mathematics. That's all I really care about. That's okay. all. I oh, if I leave only one influence on this world, it's to maybe push more people towards that because I think it's just great. That's why your name is How Matt. cheesy do I sound? You can't Matthew. say Matthew without math.
1: Matthew. Coco's still sitting here. Yeah, you're dong. All right, well, uh, is that too cheesy? No, man. No, it's, it's what you believe, so you say it. That's the whole point of this. Yeah, yeah okay. So any, uh, I guess, I always ask before we get out of here, uh, is there anything else you want the world to know?
0: Can I plug show dates? Say it all, yeah. I'm in Grand Rapids, Michigan in the middle of June. Okay. And I believe I'm in Madison, Wisconsin, the, uh, 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 what's Grand Rapids? It's Mr. Grins, I think. And then I'm at the uh, Comedy on State in Madison in, uh, I think, like, first week, like, around July 9th and. Come to those shows if you live in those areas and, um, yeah, keep doing math and stuff. Keep keep expanding your brain. Your website? The oh, app? Monday Ponday. Yeah, go check social out Monday media. Ponday if you like. Uh, yeah, MondayPonday.com. Start with MondayPonday.com slash 53. And if it's your kind of thing, I hope you enjoy it. So. And social media, can they
1: keep up with you? At y'all? Monday Ponday on everything. Yeah. At Twitter
0: and Instagram, yeah. Yeah, I'm- yeah.
1: And why I, I gotta ask, you keep leaning into math. Why do you think math is so
0: important? Because it's logic in its purest form. Because numbers don't have any. You can't skew. Uh, true numbers can't be skewed. Uh, you, there's no emotion in numbers, and that's what makes them pure. Uh, and I can mm. get into a whole thing on like art versus math and how they're actually the opposite. Um, but uh, math. I, it's just clear, logical thinking. It allows you, when you're when you, when you like coding or when you're doing a math problem, you have to say, you have to turn off all emotions or like, I think, or I want this to be the answer. You just have to turn off those things and think logically. And I think a lot of problems in society and in, or in day-to-day life could benefit from just saying, let's coldly assess the benefits and downsides of any given proposal. And let's look at it numerically, let's look at it coldly and logically because I think when you factor emotions into anything, you get things wrong and people get hurt. Boom. There's obviously another side to that. It's, you know, moderation, but yeah. Moderation. Just like Moderate, I mean like Hitler technically could have argued the same thing of like we need to improve our genetic breeding and by weeding out and he's right. I mean, there is some thought to like, well, if we keep letting Less intelligent people breed, then more of the population will be less intelligent. But it's not not really a nice solution to that, now is there?
1: Well, you being a a fitness guy too, who's done a lot of who's done triathlons and CrossFit and all this, there's a big obesity problem not in America beyond just education.
0: So, like, do you have a quick solution or there is that that is an issue of education? You have companies, uh, capitalistic companies, trying to sell foods that are poison, uh, sugar. Mm-hmm. sugary cereals and things like that, and marketing them to make them seem healthy. And, and that's people not being educated on what's actually making you be fat, in my opinion. People don't realize, people are like, I'm trying to lose weight while drinking Coca-Cola. I'm like, well, you should cut that. If you actually did the research and looked at what that sugar does to your metabolism, to your body, you would know not to drink that. So you have a quick fitness tip for the listeners? What's an easy um, way to stay in shape? Cut sugars. Cut out the sugars because sugars make you crave more sugar. So it's kind of like an addictive cycle. And then just get some good cardio. Cardio is the best way to go. People want to go do bench press and, and just put on <laughs> beach muscles. That's not going to make you actually healthier. Build the cardio base and then work on the other uh, vanity stuff later. Wow. Well, we learned a lot. This Thank was you. a serious-ass podcast, huh? Did you like it? Yeah. You like? I it. did, but I feel so serious. I feel like... I don't actually take myself this seriously, by the way. But everybody has a serious side, like you said. Comedians can't be serious, but much too much for me. On here, they can't take myself way too seriously.
1: Well, can you just say your full name into the microphone?
0: Matthew Broussard, Matthew Lawrence Broussard. All right, Matthew Lawrence Broussard. Thanks for being on. Thanks hot so breath, much. Man. I'm glad. That was like a whole ba- your background and philosophy kind of podcast. Yeah, that's a good one. That's I appreciate that. Those are fun ones. They're great questions. They're very good questions. Would it be my mom? Yeah.
1: Ooh, the sum of that interview is infinite. I just wanted to say math terms there, but thank you so much, Matt, for hopping aboard, and thank you, hot brethren and sisterin, for hopping aboard this exciting episode of Hot Breath. If you liked it, head on over to iTunes. You know, drop us a review. I always like to hear what you have to say, and that also helps in the future, you know, as we pursue new sponsors. So. Anybody out there interested in a sponsorship as well, you can always hit me up on social media at Hot Breath Pod or at Joel Byers Comedy. Or you could just go over to joelbyerscomedy.com, contact me from there. But, you know, if you have a product you want to promote or even just a show, you know, we have a. The listenership has certainly been growing at a quite a shocking rate, I got to say. It would just the short time we've been doing this podcast, so it's all thanks to you and your word of mouth as well. But definitely go over to JoelByersComedy.com. You can check out more info about my comedy class and you know the discounted rate I have going on with that right now, as well as you know my show schedule, like the one I host in Decatur every Wednesday at 8:30 at Java Monkey called Funny Monkey. And uh, you can also check out my engineer. You know a lot of people have been giving me props about. Just how the podcast sounds. Well, it's thanks to my engineer, Amon Garner. This guy is the real deal. I know a couple of you podcasters out there have actually reached out to him using his services. So any others wanting to hop on the Amon bandwagon, go on over to uh, Facebook. Search Amon Garner. Hit him up. He'll be more than happy to help you. Or hit me up if you want to you know, get more info, maybe his phone number and whatnot. But he's working on a website. It'll drop real soon. No worries. Some of you asked about my awesome theme song as well. That was by my lady, Erin A. Rogers. She's at Aaron A. Rogers on social media. And some of you have just asked, keep them coming, Joel. And some of you have asked, is that really a question? I've answered no. But at the end of the day, all that matters is you are actually listening through this entire outro. And I appreciate that. More than you know. So that rhymed. But now it's time. That is the end of this episode. I bid you a Until next Monday on Hot Breath. Hot Breath.